All right. Hello and welcome to the third and final installment of the Enterprise Tech Series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom guest host for today's webinar, Accelerating Back Off Digitization, Automating Everything. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. As usual, I recommend you have pen and paper ready to take notes as this session is packed with just outstanding nuggets of information that will help your company avoid many of the common pitfalls that you have in this in this particular endeavor. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items that will help you have a great webinar experience. Again, thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if they don't get to the, uh, to the questions during the webinar, don't worry. Uh, we'll follow up with you after the event is concluded. And you'll find today's presentation along with previous slides from this series, as well as presenter bios in the handout section of the GoToWebinar control panel. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't monitor the stock market, it's crazy. Uh, if you're experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Sarah Bemperet at sbemporad at realcom.com for help during the event, but don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the webinar recording in the next few days. This educational webinar is sponsored by our outstanding sponsors. Paymode X, powered by Bottomline, is an AP automation solution and a payment network that helps real estate industry streamline accounts payable, eliminate payment fraud risk, and improve cash flow through cash rebates. Retransform provides business management, technology, and analytics to real estate industry with solutions to commercial, residential, retail, and corporate occupier clients, improving both NOI and ROI. And Yardi, for the last four decades has been providing businesses worldwide with property and workplace management software that optimize every aspect of their operations. A connected platform for corporate real estate professionals, employees, asset managers, and brokers. We are grateful for all of the contributions by these vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to educating our viewers in sessions like these. If you're interested in boosting your AP automation process with strong vendor partnership on one of the most connected tech platforms in the industry, I recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. And finally, our moderator today is Jim Durek, VP and Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Brandywine. Welcome, Jim. I'll let Jim turn on his camera. You're all set? Great. Thanks, all right. Chuck. All right. Great. You got a great panel, so I'm just going to get out of your way, and I'll see you at the end. Okay. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jim Kurek. I'm the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer for Brandywine Realty Trust. We're a commercial real estate REIT headquartered in downtown Philadelphia, about 23 million square feet of assets under management. Um, I've been in pet technology for about 25 years and involved with Realcom for the last five or six years. I've been a part of some really exciting and thought-provoking sessions over the years, and today is certainly no different. Um, now, over the past several years, there's been a ton of innovation in the prop tech space, so much that it's, uh, it's, it's even hard to keep up with at times. 
we have a mix of new players as well as some very established companies that are growing their real estate verticals and this is kind of happening at the same time now one thing we've noticed is that a lot of what we see in innovation comes in the form of what we see on the front end things we can touch and feel and experience it's sometimes the whiz bang apps the tenant experience the dashboarding the front ends but much of the actual business processes exist behind the scenes uh, in our accounting, our finance, our IT organizations. And automating those tremendous number of business processes is really where a lot of value can be had. So today we've got some amazing presenters who will represent both the business side of the house and also from the vendor side. Each will give a short presentation and then maybe we'll have one or two follow-up questions after they um, each complete. And then once they're all finished, we'll get together for a full panel with some Q&A. I would encourage anyone in the audience to submit questions through the chat functionality of the platform. Uh, there is a team that will be monitoring the submissions and can pass them on to the panel. So without further delay, let me introduce our first guest, Susan Girac, Senior Vice President of IT and CIO for WashRe. Jim, thank you very much. Um, it's great to be here and uh, be working with such a tremendous group of panelists. Well, if you've been following WashReed's journey, you know we've been through a lot of change in the last year. In June of last year, we announced that we were moving away from being a diversified REIT focused on commercial, retail, and multifamily, and putting all of our energy and focus into the multifamily business. Since that announcement in June, we've been growing our portfolio in the Southeast uh, to a total of 8,800 apartment homes. We're continuing our value add renovation pipeline and also are looking at new development in the company. We recently opened a new development of the Trove on one of our properties in Arlington. With all of this change, uh, the back office doesn't change. In fact, it still has to be a very, very important part of keeping things moving. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time to talk about how we address automation as both a diversified REIT pre-June of last year and now as a multifamily REIT. So how do we approach automation? We really use what we call the four A's as our guide. And number one is being accessible. This is something that we felt very strongly about even pre-pandemic. Whatever we're doing, we have to be able to do it from wherever we are, whether it's in the office, at home, somewhere else in the world. Now, you're gonna hear some of the other panelists also talk about security. That's also an extremely important part of being accessible, and we try to keep that, that balance in mind when we're thinking about automation. It has to be aligned. What are we really trying to do? What are we solving for? Are, are, do we really understand the business case for the automation, is it going to make a difference in some way, whether it's whether it's headcount, whether it's freeing somebody up to do something else, whether it is simplifying something, whether it is really removing other costs that we may have, whether they be software or hardware costs. It has to be adaptable. Our business is changing, certainly a big change in the last year, but it has to be adaptable to how business changes, how the way people work changes. It can't be something that is so set in stone that you can't make a change without breaking everything. 
And last but certainly not least, it has to be auditable. Whenever we are looking at automation, we always involve our auditors in the discussion. As a publicly traded company, we have to make sure that we aren't doing something that's going to create an issue for us. And so whenever we're thinking about any sort of automation, we bring our auditors in, we go over with them our concept, how we see the process working, how we see the technology working, and the kind of information that they feel they need to feel comfortable with the change that we're making. So when we apply all four of these items, that's what tells us, yes, it's time to automate. I wanted to share just some examples, and I'm not going to go over all of these because we have a limited time to talk, but just a few examples of things that we have automated in recent years and, and really why. One of the things that we had done before the pandemic was to implement an electronic payments program. This was a way of paying our vendors, whether it be through check, through ACH, through credit card, but without having to do any of that work at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. Now, we had uh, a, in, our, in our business continuity disaster recovery plan, we certainly had uh, the thoughts of a pandemic. Never did we imagine we would go through what we've been through in the last almost two and a half years. Our thinking was more along the lines of, what if we couldn't get to our offices for a week because of something happening in D.C.? Our headquarters is four blocks from the White House. What if, what if something was going on and we couldn't get to the office or there was a snowstorm? We wanted to be able to have an automated process where nobody had to be next to a check printer. So we were very, very relieved that we had implemented this pre-pandemic. We didn't have to have people going into the office. We didn't have to be transmitting a, a check printer to somebody's home. We were able to address this and continue to pay our vendors really quite seamlessly. I'll talk also about the wire transfer request and wire payments. A couple of years ago, we uh, entered into a green bond deal. And we had a large number of people who we needed to make payments to twice a year as a result of that bond sale. That is a tremendous amount of time and effort for people internally to do this if they're having to do it manually. So we put together an automated wire transfer request form and a wire payments program so that you didn't have somebody having to sit there for hours upon end and enter wire information. That has really paid tremendous dividends in both time savings and in making sure everything happens in a timely manner. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about how IT even needs to be automated sometimes. And we had a situation where we had our help desk in one system. We had our development and testing tracking in another system. We had our change control back in the same system as our help desk system. And it was just very inefficient. It was really easy for things to fall through the cracks, for people to forget to follow up. So we said, let's automate this and let's choose a solution that we can all work with that really links everything together. So by implementing the JIRA service desk and taking advantage of the workflows available in JIRA for both our change control and our development and testing, we have been able to completely seamlessly make that process so that it really is not only just the touch of a button, 
to know where something is in the process, but also to be able to report out to our auditors as far as all of the different changes and be able to provide those results of testing quite easily. Those are just a few of the things that we've done as far as automating the back office. But I'm looking forward to talking more with you and the rest of the panelists as we get into the panel discussion. Thanks, Susan. Um, I have a couple follow-up questions here. So you have a, a nice program in place and several examples where you've been able to automate. But before that can happen, you have to kind of think about things internally. Do you go out and buy or do you build, right? The buy versus build conversation and thought process is always there, uh, at least in the IT, you know, radar. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you may have thought early on in the process before you were able to either develop or implement certain processes, automation processes? Yes, I, I, you know, it's it's really something that I think most companies struggle with all the time. Uh, for us, knowing that a we are always going to have a small IT staff, and b that um, some of those skill sets to do ground up development are very hard to find, uh, especially for a real estate company. We have tended to focus on out-of-the-box programs. Now, there's a double-edged sword with that, and I'll tell you a great example. We had built uh, a workflow using Microsoft Forms, and uh, very happy with it, was working. One day, it was no longer working, and it's because a feature that Microsoft had in the software, they had taken away, and it was a feature we had used. So we really had to go back through and completely change that workflow. That was one of the times that really trying to do something out of the box bit us. But at the same time, we still think it is worth um, it in the long run, just because of the limitations in skill sets and in team size. So once these processes are automated and put in place, I think the general assumption is, you know, you, you automate to make things easier, to make less work. But I guess there could be some instances where maybe there's more work uh, or there could be less work or maybe you uncover something that you weren't aware of before. Have you run into any of those types of situations? We really have. And that's why we challenge ourselves with the four A's that I talked about in the presentation. One time we were gung-ho uh, moving forward with a lease abstracting program. Very excited about what it could do, but as we really started digging into it, was it really going to save us time? Was it going to save us money? Were the processes going to be that much improved? Was the access to data going to be what we really thought it was going to be? And the more we got into it, the more we realized is, you know, this is this is a cool thing to have, but is it really going to make the changes that are important to us? I've always said we will never do technology just for the sake of technology. There has to be a good reason for it. So in that case, we're constantly asking ourselves those questions. So in an organization where you you said you have a small team, you know, you know, you'll always have a small team. Does IT own the process? Are you structured in, in a certain way where you're you're general, you know, you kind of have a partnership with the business side dependent on the process that's being automated? 
what does the structure look like for ownership of this? We have a deep partnership uh, with the business and in fact, really look to them to be the primary project managers and, and that we are in many ways their technology arm, their consultants when we're going through this. So from that standpoint, we work extremely closely with them uh, to not only deliver on what it is that they're looking for, but to provide them with critical thinking on potential pitfalls or issues that we might have as well. That's great. Thank you very much, Susan. We'll catch up soon for the panel. Great, thank you, Jim. Next, I'd like to introduce Ian Turnbull. He's Vice President of Special Projects at First Capital REIT. Hi, Ian. Hi, Jim. Thanks. How are you doing? Thanks very much for this. I really appreciate the opportunity to participate on this panel with this uh, on this very interesting topic and share with you what we've done at First Capital REIT. Um, I uh, have been in the industry for 40 years, 27 of those at Brookfield, and spent the last seven years at First Capital as CIO. I have recently stepped back in favor of my number two to uh, who will. As I transition to retirement, but um, I've still been involved in, in all the, the automation projects here at, at First Capital, and I'm happy to share with you what we have uh, been up to. So, first, a little bit about uh, First Capital. We are a Canadian-based uh, owner, operator, developer uh, of primarily grocery-anchored and mixed-use uh, real estate. We've uh, recently had a sort of transition strategy, historically grocery-anchored retail, but uh, now more into uh, mixed-use in uh, densely populated urban neighborhoods in the major cities across Canada. We have about 355 employees, 10.2 billion in assets. And uh, even though we say 148 neighborhoods, there's a, there are a lot of properties, uh, more properties in those neighborhoods. So. so back to our, I just wanted to share with you our sort of the things that drive automation for us. Um, you know, we have already got the, the, you know, the big building blocks in place. Uh, just like Washree, we have a relatively small IT team. We focus our, you know, our, by far and away, our preference is to uh, buy rather than build. Uh, the, you know, the ongoing uh, maintenance and, uh, uh, and development costs are, are tough for us to manage with a small team. But that being said, once you've got the big building blocks in place, a lot of times there aren't um, there aren't off-the-shelf applications to fill sort of the niches in between those blocks. So, you know, how do how do we use automation to sort of address that? Um, we have, I think, every company these days we have employee acquisition and retention challenges. Um, we, you know, we need to get rid of uh, the non-value-added work um, and the boring, repetitive work or we just cannot uh, attract and retain talent. Um, secondly, there are a lot of good prop deck solutions that are coming up these days. And, you know, we need to uh, always be looking at, you know, looking at those from an innovative point of view, does that solve a problem for us? Uh, and then figuring out if so, you know, how best to integrate that into our current uh, uh, technology platform. Data quality and data consistency challenges are always an issue, uh, I think, in every company. Uh, and uh, trying to make sure that we uh, have uh, innovative solutions to sort of, you know, bring any data quality issues up to the surface to give us that sort of uh, data, data uh, history and, and, and data ownership chain uh, is very important. I mentioned about getting rid of the gaps in the portfolio, and and in this case, uh, you know, a lot of the situations is what we find when we, when we, 
we get down there is that there, there's a, a, a major amount of work that's done in some huge Excel spreadsheet. And we look at those and when they uncover them and we realize, okay, well, this is this is this spreadsheet only exists because there's a there is a gap in the application portfolio. Otherwise, if we only had solutions that would do that, you know, the, the staff would be using it. So, you know, that provides an opportunity for us to look at our automation tool set and say, okay, is there a way that we can uh, automate this for for these people, this team, and get rid of that Excel? And lastly, and not least, you know, one of our, you know, we have uh, our, our major, major sort of cultural uh, touchstones is to have an innovation culture, and we have a an innovation inbox, and we get a lot of good ideas out of that innovation inbox. We it, it is. So it has surprised me uh, how frequently uh, staff have contributed to that and made suggestions. Um, of course, not all of them, uh, you know, would be worthwhile. But there, regardless, there are the there are still those core nuggets that come out of those suggestions uh, that we go, you know, we didn't even know that was a problem until you you, you brought it forward to us. And so we really want to make sure that we act on those and and encourage the staff. Uh, to to you know provide us with those innovation opportunities so that we can bring our tool sets to bear and make their lives easier. So um, a little bit about sort of how we you know our thought process behind automation at First Capital. I mean I think like most CRE companies we are uh, asset heavy and people light, which by definition means that we don't have the people scale. Uh, you know, the, the, the pennies we save on our per person per process uh, uh, automation, you know, we, we don't have the scale sometimes to make that ROI work. So we have to be, uh, you know, very cognizant of, of, you know, where we're going to make those investments and what that return will be and is it, you know, is it worth our time? Um, and at the same time, it also means that typically we have to provide a whole range of tools. It, you know, it's not, not going to be as simply an RPA program or a, you know, a reporting database or, or a data integration you know, in and of itself that's going to solve the problem. Uh, more often than not, you know, we're filling that gap in, the, in, in the, our application portfolio with a, a set of tools that we need to, to solve those problems. And so the you know there were four major areas that uh, you know those tool sets and you know we'll, we've got some of the tools that we use around the outside but the tools are less important than sort of the specific uh, areas that, that they're targeting. Um, clearly, the data platform is is a big one for us. Uh, you know, data quality and data standardization and data integration across the portfolio is is key. And to the extent that we use that platform as a, as a data hub to make sure that we're maintaining that data consistency and to allow us to automate the inflows and outflows uh, is uh, crucially important to us. Uh, going down below, robotic process automation. Uh, we'll show you some of that in, this, in a second, but we have used uh, robotic process automation um, to a great extent. As a matter of fact, just to echo Susan's comments, we started with IT. Uh, there were lots of opportunities. Uh, we we fully automated our onboarding and offboarding processes, having the, the robot go and uh, you know set up new employees and decommission employees who have who had left. Um, so yeah, lots of opportunities here. Uh, and then up in the uh, upper right there in the low code app builders, again, just as in the case of Washreet, we are not a, a big shop. We you know we're not going to be able to retain. You know the deep IT or application development uh, skill set that 
would take to, to do a full development shop. So we're using you know low code solutions to again to build little mini applications that that address very specific targeted problems, um, and then take and typically are taking that workload out of Excel. And last but not least, it's a you know data integrations uh, you know power this all behind the scenes. So we use uh, you know in our case it's Informatica, but there are lots of other tools that that will you know make sure you maintain that data uh, integrity across your various uh, the application portfolio and to do it automatically in behind the scenes uh, and to get it where it needs to be when it needs to be there so just to give you a sense uh you know this is uh, a couple of quick brief uh, automations that we have worked on uh, one of them is our nsf returned items automation you can imagine that you know uh processing uh, nsf <laughs> Uh, notifications from the bank is is not a value add uh, process at all. Uh, in fact, it's very mind-numbing. But there are a lot of steps. You know, it runs through multiple departments, ultimately getting approval. So we uh, chip down there as a little bot. What you're looking at is this as a screenshot of automation anywhere. And what Chip the bot does in this case is, you know, goes in, reads the email uh, that comes in from the bank, grabs the data from it finds the corresponding records in JDE Edwards, sends notifications, gets approvals back, ultimately goes around the whole, you know, reverses the, the transaction in JDE Edwards and then sets up uh, a charge to the tenant for the NSF charge. So all of that work is, is uh, been taken off the, the plates of our property management team and is now all run by CHIP. Here's an example of a mini application. We, you know, we have recurring payments. Uh, we call this recurring payments slash contract management. Uh, we had, you know, JD Edwards comes with a recurring payments capability natively, but that really didn't allow you to manage, you know, our operations teams to manage the contracts, uh, the start, stops, renewals, all that kind of thing. And we wanted to marry those two concepts up. And so uh, we used Caspio's low code builder to build sort of the screens that you see here to allow people to interact and manage their the contracts and the status of the, the payments. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Power Automate and the rest of the APIs and things to go right into JD Edwards and set up the, the recurring payments for them and turn them on and off as, as they require. And last but not least, the vendor management portal. Same tool set, we used Caspio, uh, you, you know, and, and to, to, to put a screen in front that we, and, and here, this is, uh, Public facing vendors come on these, they set themselves up, they put in their banking uh, information for electronic payments, um, and it gives them, they can update their addresses, update their contacts, all of that kind of thing, which was all being done, you know, by, you know, email exchanges and things like that prior to this, but now, you know, we're managing this all centrally, and we've taken all that uh, manual effort out, and the vendors are actually doing it themselves. So those are just some of the things that we've done at First Capital. We've done lots more than that, but I just thought I'd give you some insights to set kinds of the things that we applied automation, our automation toolkits to. Thanks, Ian. That was very helpful. Um, I'm going to throw the same question to you that I asked Susan because it, it came out from uh, uh, um, one of the attendees. And that had to do with, again, in commercial real estate, we have lean teams in IT typically. And um, how do you how do you structure your team to kind of own the processes? Is it an IT function? Is it a business function? Is it because it kind of dependent on what the process is? 
Yeah, no, unless it is an IT function, like for example, the 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 technical pieces of the onboarding, offboarding, obviously our our HR group, you know, handles the people side of it. But there are a lot of technical behind the scenes that, and that is it has historically entirely an IT's control. So we see that as an IT process, and we look at that ourselves. But everything else is really a business process. It is business led, business driven. I agree completely with what Susan said. We are. Uh, we are the advisory group, the, cons the technical consultants right. to the business who hold their hands, help them develop the solutions, but they ultimately are responsible for defining the requirements, you know, approving the designs, uh, validating that the solutions do what they want them to do, and then finally signing off and, and maintain, you know, and, and managing them um, going yeah. forward. Yeah. yeah. So, so when we talk about kind of creating, even with low code, some of these solutions, do you have developers on staff? What did you kind of rely on third party for that? Like, how did you, how did you manage um, that? Combination, combination, small, small right. things and maintenance. We, we, you know, we have a uh, two, <laughs> you know, one and a half right. uh, developers, right? Uh, and you know, the nice thing about the low code is, you know, you don't need to be, uh, uh, you know, I have a computer science degree to do this. Uh, it is uh, very similar to the Microsoft suite, uh, you know, Power Apps and those kind of thing. It is very drag and drop, you know, kind of oriented. You don't need to be, uh, you know, uh, an egghead or a propeller head to do this stuff. So we're able to to build these small, and again, we these are small infill applications. They They serve a very specific purpose, very targeted. It is not that much different than building some automation in Excel. So let me let me change the track a little bit here. There, you mentioned your innovation inbox or your innovation program. There, um, we have something similar here at Brandywine. And while we do get some really good ideas coming through, and it and it varies from you know something maybe they saw out in the marketplace from like a product side to a change in a process or whatever it may be. It's kind of all over the map, which is great. Uh, we have also seen some hesitation to submit because there there is kind of this uh, this I'll call it a fear of potentially while well, you submitted it now you got to own it right and and it's like well wait a minute right so can you I, I'm, this is really out of my curiosity um, items that come through your innovation side of the house right and come through that channel um, yeah. and end up as a solution as an automation solution or something else kind of how can you talk through that a little bit yeah i mean it typically doesn't end up on the individual to own it but clearly if you you ask the question you had the idea you you will be involved in developing helping right. us develop the solution um but yeah typically it is the team or the department that that person works for who end up being you know the business owners of that that solution um and you know i, I I think that's been good. I think, in fact, I would say for the most part, um, you know, the company, the people are being encouraged to be innovative. It is looked at as a positive thing. There is, I mean, yeah. it is of our, of our five, you know, cultural, you know, innovation is uh, one of the big ones. And so um, people are rewarded for that effort. Uh, there, there is an innovation award, um, you know, and so I think this is, yeah. uh, seemed very positively and, and yeah, I, I never had a, for example, a manager come back and admonish a, you know, a team member for right. submitting an innovation idea. Yeah. Right. Right. That's a different issue. <laughs> yeah. 
That's right. Uh, no, look, Ian, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, kind of brought it off track a little bit there, but it, but it's it's an important piece because innovation programs, whether they're mature or new, whatever they might be, are often used not necessarily for a new idea, but they're used to identify where there are challenges in the organization, right? And then we can kind of come together and address them. And this is one of the areas where we can do that. So yeah, thank you very much. And, 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 I agree. It's primarily sort of process improvement type of ideas. Not that there haven't been some, you know, you know, new concepts. You know, people saying, "Why don't we do this?" Right? And yep. it's it is a. I don't want to say off the wall it would be the wrong shit, but it would be a a true sort of innovative. You know, you'd need to really think about whether this made sense for the business kind of idea. But it's it's good to have those things brought forward. Which sometimes, yeah, it's worth doing some some digging to see. If if there's value in that but about a lot of the other is really yeah that small business process improvement type of concept yeah thanks very much ian we'll see you in a few minutes thanks good talking to you so next up we have ganita bindra she's vice president commercial product management with bottom line so we're going to go from the uh kind of the business side of the house to the vendor side of the house so and then at the end we'll, we'll kind of mix everything together hi ganita Hey, Jim, thank you so much. Um, you know what, I'm going to start with uh, saying thank you to the audience today that's listening in. Super grateful for your time today. So let's get into this topic. Uh, five signs your real estate business is ready for AP transformation. And the fact that you're looking for this information that might be saying that you're already possibly too late. So let me try to move this. Okay, before we get into those signs, let me share with you who are we? What is Paymodex? What do we do? What do we bring to the table? So Paymodex, powered by Bottomline, we help real estate industry automate their invoice to pay processes and securely pay your suppliers and your vendors. We help improve AP efficiency, reduce time, reduce uh, costs, reduce your errors, minimize your check payments, help you implement. So I heard a lot from uh, Ian and Susan, you know, lean IT teams. How do we help support and implement some of these products with and for you is a big part of what we do. We are that one payment network for all payment types, be it B2B payments, be it your B2C payments, your tenant refunds, right? Your one-off security payments, security guard payments, um, be it your international payments. We are the one-stop shop for all your payment needs. With Paymodex, you can earn rebates, not just on card, but on ACH. And rebates are important. You know, while you're looking at automating your back office, your AP automation, Rebates are one thing that can turn your cost center into actually profit center. So really having that cash back really can support some of the additional innovation programs that you want to implement within your teams. We are a trusted partner of seven of the largest U.S. banks, such as Bank of America, U.S. Bank and others. Those banks resell our product. So really goes to show, uh, you know, when, when uh, Susan was talking about, you know, the product being auditable, aligned, adaptable, and accessible, we're all of that. Now let's get into real estate AP is under pressure. There is continuous demand to reduce cost. Those checks that we're sending, 
40 to 60% of the industry, real estate industry is still sending check payments. So there is a lot of paper uh, and that there is still a lot of paper invoices. There is demand to digitize, to transform those manual processes, those repeatable processes that we all do in our Excel sheet, maybe day to day. Let's implement invoice automation and payment automation to save time and improve connectivity. Talking about connectivity, again, going back to what Susan said, being accessible in these times is critical. Having a product that you can access on your device um, that you have in your hand, or you can log in from your browser is critical. And most importantly, making sure that it's secure is even more critical. There is the demand to improve cash flow. So talk about vendor discounts, early payment discounts, making that information visible so that AP managers can actually take actions and not really spend their time getting the information and you know, really changing the role of AP manager to be more strategic in their day-to-day -day times. By signs, your real estate business is ready for AP automation. And if your answer is yes to even one of these, it's time. So if your team is processing paper invoices and have manual processing in place, it is time. If your teams are walking around getting approval on invoices and dropping them off at their manager's table, it is time to automate AP. Uh, if you have separate disparate approaches to each payment type, let's say you do your card with your bank, let's say you do ACH in-house, you're sending checks to another third-party provider or cutting them in-house, it is time to consolidate. Look for that automation that is one-stop shop because it is critical to see not just how your check payments are going out or your ACH or your card separately, but it's the power of consolidation and that visibility that you get. Number three, if your vendors are unhappy with their payment or their remittance experience, what that means is when you send a payment to your vendor or supplier, are they just getting it in their bank account or just an email with card details, or they are getting additional remittance details that will help them with their receivables process. And at the end of the day, nurture a buyer and a supplier's relationship. Number four, is there lack of visibility by AP and your leadership? By leadership, I mean your CFO maybe. Uh, are they able to you know, see the accounts payable, payments being made on time? Are they able to track all the key AP KPIs very clearly every week? Um, and if there is lack of visibility, there are solutions out there that support with this automation and visibility. Last, but actually the most important, has your business ever been a victim of payment fraud attempt? And I said attempt, doesn't have to be successful. With working from home, suppliers impersonating, um, you know, other the real supplier and calling in and changing bank account details, and then the payments going to the wrong supplier, all of that is very critical in today's times. So if the answer is yes, I think it's time to transform your AP. I'll talk about five keys for successful AP transformation. It is critical to really understand the financial gains, the cost savings to your business, the revenue booster that you get out of it, and really making sure that it works for your team 
And having that understanding is critical to even make a business case to get an automation in place. Number two, a key to successful AP transformation is streamlining and digitizing your invoice to payment process. Again, not just the payment, not just the invoice process, and not and even within payment, not just the card payments. Let's look at the process holistically and make sure those checks are not being received at empty offices, right? So let's convert those check payments into digital payments. Number three, let's have a secure AP process. I talked about security briefly. It, is, it continues to be top of mind for all our customers, for all this industry that when we speak to, security is really top of mind. Number four, ensure you realize vendor adoption. Ensure that you know, it nurtures, like I said, your and your supplier's experience. Last but not the least, really key for, for AP transformation is you don't just build for today, you build it for your tomorrow, for your mergers and acquisitions that you're doing and the consolidation that you're doing. So make sure you're future-proofing your solution. Jim, that's it. Thanks, Ganita. Very good info. I got one quick question for you, um, and you may go on about it a little bit. But um, you know, when I put my security hat on, I definitely see the the security and risk issue with payments, right? We kind of all see that, I think, every day. But mm -hmm. can you talk about in commercial real estate? There's a number of different ERP platforms and processes and everything else. Level of effort that you've seen from the vendor side as you go into these organizations and you start having conversations about bringing in your product and integration with any number of different combinations of, of software that already exist. Right, Jim, from, from my experience, it is critical to have a seamless, even embedded accounting system integration with the payment and the invoicing system. Why? Let's say you add new vendors, right? It is critical for the payment system to really know when you, immediately when you add new vendors or you change vendors, right? So th that's where the continuity, the business continuity comes into play when actually there is a strong integration between the accounting system and the payment system. For example, Jim Paymodex is actually integrated and embedded the top industry leading ERPs. So we're available right within the accounting system to help process and disperse payments. Great, great, thank you very much, very helpful. Okay. Our next guest, uh, Turner Levinson from Yardi, industry principal from their commercial line. Welcome, Turner. Okay, thanks for having me today. All right, well, We'll hop in and it looks like... Commercial real estate is changing and Yardi has the right technology to power your strategy. Turn vacancy back into revenue with Yardi Cube, the award-winning solution that helps build a thriving co-working community. Improve energy operations with Yardi Pulse, the energy performance platform that helps you operate your buildings from anywhere. Drive asset performance with Yardi Elevate, the technology suite that connects every aspect of real estate operations. Yardi. Energized for tomorrow. Okay, thanks for having me today. You know, as I was preparing for this and as, as 
industry principal for our commercial team here at Yardi, I get to sit in a pretty interesting seat. I work at the center of marketing, sales, and products for our, uh, our commercial line, and gosh, there's there's quite a bit of them. From a commercial perspective, Yardi's no stranger to, to partnering with clients to automate back office process, and we have uh, products that work with landlords, owners, asset managers, which is probably the, the part most you're familiar with. But you know, we also have a suite of products for brokers and brokerages on the transaction side of CRE. And we help tenants with software for their real estate strategy and lease administration and, and lessee accounting automation. And we even have products for a shared space and co-working operators, whether that be a company like WeWork or a traditional landlord that is offering flexible space to kind of meet the, the, the new approach to work. So we're constantly thinking about ways that we can help uh, clients automate and streamline uh, various processes from, from all angles of the commercial real estate world. And today I wanted to really focus on two stories of two different types of back offices. And let me get my next slide here. So we have CBRE Albany, and they are a commercial real estate brokerage that does uh, a full service offering. Uh, they're on the buy and sell side. Uh, on the broker brokerage level, they represent tenants and landlords and even do consulting. And then we have Mace Rich, which is an owner, operator, and developer of retail and mixed use destinations in pretty much every major U.S. market. And they're a, a large public company. Uh, the, the ticker is MAC, if you wanted to. To check that out. Um, for each of these, I want to run through what they were looking to solve for, kind of what the, the actual problem was that, that they came to us with, and how they partnered with Yardi to automate processes and, and ultimately drive key business objectives. So let's start with Mace Rich. You know, really, there's an interesting thing here. They wanted to optimize their specialty leasing and bring the process more in line with an e-commerce experience. And this is you know, specifically for smaller and shorter term leasing. So Mace Rich wanted to streamline the process for, for the smaller, the more entrepreneurial type of tenant to find a specialty place, uh, you know, whether that be in an outdoor mall or a, a regional mega mall. And we think about this, the process for them to do a traditional lease for a small space for a short period of time was roughly the same as doing you know a large 10-year lease with a a, a name brand retail uh, retail location taking up a, a big amount of space so you know this was often kind of came in secondary these small specialty spaces and if they're able to to get this more of a, a of an e-commerce platform that small entrepreneurs, smaller spaces can use, it It unlocks new revenue for Mace Rich and it creates a better process for the smaller retails that have shorter term and smaller space needs. So in order to accomplish this, Mace Rich really needed an effective way to, to, to digitally market this type of option to those retail operators so that as a small retail operator, I can actually find these space opportunities. And and then a, a way to manage the process through leasing and even the actual legal paperwork of the leasing process in a way that was very click click and touch, um, very click friendly and low touch, uh, I should say. From a 
results perspective, and some people may have seen this, uh, so in, in collaboration with Yardi and, and our Elevate suite of products, Maesrich developed and created QuickSpace. And this is a, a really intuitive and short-term retail solution that, that really does streamline the entire leasing process and provides tenants with flexibility uh, for short-term spaces. They can do all of their research online, they can tour these spaces virtually, and, and powered by you know, what we call our, our edge marketing and, and deal manager tools, it, it creates a user-friendly uh, experience in a digital platform. It, it simplifies the deal cycle, it automates a few things. And, and as a entrepreneur that's looking for a short-term small space in a, in a mall, maybe to test a concept, it's as easy as booking a hotel room. And on the back end, for the Mace Rich team, they're benefiting from automation for, for these smaller leases where there's less decision-making and less negotiation. It's kind of here's the space and you can lease it like a hotel room. So edge marketing really enables brokers and owners to, to list these leads and manage their leads uh, across our, our commercial edge listing network. So we have these five sites that uh, all of the leads syndicate to. The, the Mace Rich team only manages their listings in one place. It syndicates to the website that we're looking at here and five websites that Yardi operates and for the most part are, are showing up on the first page of Google. So this helps retail tenants find the spaces and then deal manager helps with the overall process and the oversight and the approval functionality that ensures transparency and solid communication between the Mace Rich business and the retail operator from them finding a space showing interest all the way through the legal and, and lease signing process. So in doing so, that it again, it creates this win-win. Smaller retails can find spaces in malls and they can test concepts and, and lease short-term specialty spaces. And Mace Rich has unlocked a, a new line of, of revenue for them that's low touch uh, for their team and, and high impact uh, in terms of their bottom line. So then we switch over completely different type of back office. If we look at CBRE Albany, uh, they are a brokerage and they were using manual processes for their deal management, transaction management, and, and approval process, and then how they invoice and manage broker commission payments. Deals were in Excel files and emailed around the office. Uh, invoices were made in Word documents and then saved as a PDF and attached uh, to an email and sent one by one. And every time a commission needed to be paid, that distribution calculated uh, needed to be done in Excel and then emailed to accounting to, to remit payments. So overall, the average transaction for them was taking about 70 minutes to process. And, again, and this is something they do hundreds of times a year. With today's technology, they wanted to invest in, in making systems better and, and partnered with us for a workflow management system, what we call commission track. And that their goal was really just to create time savings and, and provide more clarity to these three different groups that work together. So, so they were able to partner with us and they now have a single platform that their brokers, operational team and admins and accounting teams all work collaboratively within. Their brokers are able to manage their pipeline in one place and, and this helps them close more deals and the leadership uh, team has transparency for budgeting and forecasting as to what deals are being done and, and close to the finish line. And once a deal is completed, brokers can click a button and the completed transaction and all the related documents are sent over to the operations team to process. And now they can automatically generate branded invoices and click a button to send those out and all of that synced with their accounting platform and commission calculations are are automated as well it's uh, it's a click button experience when they receive the cash they click the button and it tells them who needs to be paid what so all in all by bringing automation to the platform 
CBRE Albany was able to reduce their all-in transaction uh, processing time to 14 minutes. So that's an 80% savings in terms of, of processing time per transaction, and they do hundreds of deals a year. So this saves time for brokers, the operational team, and the accounting department, which is you know, the, the, the rare triple win. So it's just two stories of ways that from the technology platform perspective, we're able to partner with clients and solve these, these complex needs and, and do so whether it be as, as a piece of the technology uh, or the entire platform that, that they, they're using. Um, so I will, uh, I'm, I'm sure Thanks, there's Aaron. some questions from that. that, uh, that, that um, yeah, so, so I got one follow-up question here and it's a little, it's a little bit of a uh, opportunity for you to pontificate, right? So, so Yardi <laughs> being a large organization, when you come in, um, you, you will oftentimes be in a position where you're proposing automation through products you have, or potentially you're coming in because a customer needs a piece of what you have, and they're going to want you to integrate with all kinds of other third parties. So can you can you talk a little bit, because I think, you know, being the larger vendor, you're, you're coming in uh, from either one of those two different directions. So can you comment a little bit on that? Because the folks that are on this call are kind of represent a number of combinations of, of technologies that they have in-house. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great question. Um, so I'll try not to pontificate for too long, but if we think about it, you already does a lot from the platform perspective. And we're frequently partnering with clients to, to advance what product offering we have and how we can better help them and how we can you know, basically provide a one-stop shop. And we're a big believer in the power of the platform. And, and, and being able to provide a complete uh, solution that, that meets all needs. And that's there's really two big reasons there. It's, it's typically easier to drive automation from within one system, not to say you, you can't with many systems, but API integrations, they can be done really well, they can be really powerful, but when everything's built on top of the same database, you just have more flexibility for, for automation and collaboration within the platform. From a support perspective, that's, that's a big one too, is you have one place to go. When you, when you have created a system where you have six, seven, 10 different uh, vendors that are connected by way of integration and APIs, when something fails, you might not even really know where to go for support. All you know is something's not working. And, and when you have one platform, you have one support team. But with, with that said, we're a big believer in giving our clients the power to choose. We have over 300 uh, interface partners with, with dedicated APIs and integrations with Yardi products. And then we have thousands of other software products that our clients are pushing and pulling data from using our ETL interface. And, and I guess at the end of the day, our team is here to help you deploy Yardi in whatever context is relevant to you, whether that be a complete solution that's meeting all of your needs or more likely is part of a, a larger technology stack and, and we play whatever role in that technology stack that you want us to play in. And, and our team from an implementation standpoint does both of those options frequently and, and often right. and is here to help. Thanks very much, Turner. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Yep. So next we've got a short video for retransform and then I'll introduce our final guest.
Rebot saves one of our clients over 50 hours a month on their property management project. Another client saves 25 hours every month by using its AI-powered invoice automation. And Rebot finishes the task in just 30 minutes. RPA as a service empowers you to advance your analytics, guarantee consistency, and increase productivity, all while enhancing accuracy and improving employee morale. As a scalable, reliable solution, Rebot becomes an extension of your team, growing alongside you and creating more time for the human members of your team to do what they do best. Your time is important. Let us help you create more of it. Rebot is powered by Retransform, a global technology services provider and partner. Right. So our final guest today uh, will be Lynn Peters. She is the Vice President of Global, Global Operations for Retransform. Welcome, Lynn. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. And a big thanks to uh, the audience and all the panelists. We're honored to be a part of uh, this discussion today. So um, I thought I would talk a little bit about the unique perspective I think Retransform brings as a global technology and service provider. We're really touching every part of each of the folks on this conversation, um, whether it's identifying a, a solution or maximizing the opportunities within so solutions like Yardi and other software providers. Um, we're not looking to reinvent the wheel, but we can certainly kind of bridge the gap and, and do some of the heavy lifting for our clients um, in, the, in their journey to ultimately deploy automation. Um, some of the efficiencies that we've seen as, as we're and navigating what the needs are um, of our clients is that first just the willingness to adapt to change you know it's a hurdle um, many organizations face and when they're trying to identify what are the processes it can just feel overwhelming um, out of the gate so i think that's that's certainly something as companies are looking to deploy the solution um, you know, be prepared for that, that could be a hurdle. Um, inconsistencies with processes, you know, I think different business units potentially may handle something a different way. So identifying what really is the end goal um, and to apply that consistency to those business processes. Um, time management, the monotony, I think, um, Ian, you might've touched on this earlier and I think many of companies out there are feeling the, the challenge of hiring and retaining good talent, um, being able to maximize what the day-to-day -day looks like for folks, I think is becoming more important. Um, so wasting time, I, I shouldn't say wasting time, but the, the time required to do things like pull 150 bank racks that you have to log into a system, download it, save the file, store it, send it, whatever those nuances are, it, it's kind of lessens just the overall job satisfaction. So if there's things you can do to deploy technology to ease that, I think um, that's certainly an opportunity. Um, human error, just an inefficiency, right? If, if something gets transposed, a number, a date, um, you know, there's real re repercussions for, for those types of things. Um, and generally, I think a lack of agility um, and the ability to pivot or respond to whatever the needs of the business um, requirements are. So generally speaking, those are just some of uh, the inefficiencies that we see as a service provider. Um, this next slide just gives us a, a, an overview of the various types of scenarios that we have seen and deployed 
whether that's lease creation management, and I've got a use case I'll share with you um, in a moment, ARAP automation, data calculation and validation, um, complex reporting, um, reading and writing to databases, uh, sending notifications, connecting to disparate systems. I think uh, many organizations out there are still in that phase where they do in fact have data stored in a number of different um, locations and sources. So trying to automate that process of bringing it all together is, is an important one. File and file folder structure management and organization and kind of deploy, deploying if-then rules, I think is the easiest way to think about the opportunities to deploy um, RPA specifically as it relates to back office. Um, just a few recent uh, use cases that we've done uh, for one client, they were interested in um, migrating the data out of JD Edwards into Yardi. So the validation was gonna to need to happen to ensure the accuracy of that information from the source data into its final destination. So through the, the development and deployment of bots, um, that would, they were able to save a significant amount of time. The, the end client would have taken probably months to get that done had they had to deploy their own internal resources, but the bots were able to work around the clock and completed that process in about two weeks. So there's tangible value there. Um, another use case is a, a client that wanted to manage their leases and leads, taking the information out of Salesforce and automating that process um, into Yardi. So creating and updating a prospect into Yardi, once that lead was created um, in Salesforce and automating that process to move it through that workflow and that cycle. Um, in that case, it was originally about 50 minutes to complete that process, but through the deployment of the bot, um, they were able to manually input it in under uh, 10 minutes per lease. This just gives you a kind of an overview of the RPA journey. So starting at the beginning for people that are contemplating, where do we start? What are those opportunities? How do we just get this ball rolling? Um, starting with the just your strategy, identify those business processes. What is that roadmap? What is the, the business care framework? Conducting an ROI analysis. Um, moving next to the solutions. What are the opportunities and or this, the, the tools available in that toolbox? And I know, I think Ian, you had a nice slide that indicated there's a lot of solutions out there. Um, so it, it may not be a one size fits all. So. Um, identifying that architecture and design for the implementation of, of automation. Um, and then ultimately RPA as a service, which again is where companies like ours come in. Um, when, when there is a, an update, for example, Susan, I think you touched on in a Microsoft workflow that it breaks what you've developed. So having that ongoing support to manage RPA um, and, and whatever automations that's been developed, I think is really important. This gets a little bit more granular on the implementation approach that we just touched on in the previous slide from discovery, um, again, drilling down with different business units, ensuring that everybody's on the same page and what their end goal is, designing that right solution. Is it really implementing, um, for example, 
an AP automation component that's built within Yardi, and you may just need help supporting and getting that ball rolling. And as a as a partner to Yardi, those are certainly things we can help with as well. Um, building the bot, designing it, doing your your testing, and then ultimately the stabilization um, and and getting that solution deployed to live. Uh, and that's really it. The overview for me. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. That was great. Um, one follow-up question for you. So um, I, I like the roadmap slides, right? It, it kind of gives you the steps and the process along the way. Um, but, you know, when an organization decides we need some RPA services or we're going to go forward, you know, we've identified challenge, you know, we've identified issues that we want to solve for, what are the challenges either early on in the process or along the way that you typically see organizations getting snagged up on? Um, I think from our perspective, I think initially it's it's really embracing and, and the adoption and identifying which are the solutions. That can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, and really refining what those processes are. Um, for example, a PM may be processing a tenant reimbursement one way and accounting has a different standard and by how they're, they're processing. So really bringing those business units together to get that continuity and consistency is somewhat of a challenge, but it, it absolutely can be done. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on a piece there, right? There's a, there's a culture piece to any technology change or any business process change. And I know one of the challenges I've seen in the past has been, you know, you don't necessarily want to take an existing process and simply automate it if that process is bad, right? You don't want to take bad habits and automate the bad habit. You want to maybe take the time to rethink a bad habit or a bad process and first kind of go through improving it, then automate it, right? maybe right. at the same time. So so I think there's definitely a cultural piece as well within many organizations. Yeah, absolutely, I would agree. And to your point, taking the time to, to get it right. And I don't think anybody watching or in, in the position wants to deploy any type of solution just for the sake of deploying it. Take the time, make sure you're getting it right, that you're meeting the business users needs and requirements and, and really identifying all of the ROIs that you can possibly pull in because it really is the sum of all parts. All right. Well, look, thank you very much, Lynn. Uh, why don't you stay on the line? We're, we, we'll invite everybody else back, the rest of our panelists, and we'll kind of get a uh, group discussion started here. One, two, three, four. There we go. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Everybody's here. Um, so, so this is good. We've heard um, we've heard both from the business organization side and the vendor and partner side. So I want to ask some questions that will kind of generate some uh, some discussion uh, and maybe a little back and forth here, right? So um, to start off, when we talk about RPA, it's this is the back end we're talking about, right? This is the parts of the business that a lot of people don't see. And sometimes it's messy and sometimes it's very entrenched. So there's internal sales jobs that sometimes have to happen, right? To, to even bring up the, the prospect of spending time and money 
on doing this. There, necessar there isn't necessarily a very specific uh, or easily identifiable ROI at the end of the day, right? So I I'm kind of curious here, um, and I'll say we'll go down the line, but I don't know if we're in the same order on everybody's screen. Um, kind of curious everybody's thoughts on this very early in the process when the when the when the thoughts start to cross people's minds about automating processes and everything how do we how do we bring that up and around the organization to decide as a group to move forward um, I'll pick somebody Susan sure Jim it's that's a fantastic question we we're pretty fortunate within Wash Reed. We have a, a very innovative group of leaders focused on these back office processes. So we have a great partner to begin with. What we do find sometimes is they may have really good ideas, but they're not really sure how to go about it. So sometimes from an IT standpoint, we'll discover a new product or a new capability and we'll go to them and say, is this something that could help you? You know, what is this? Is this a problem to be solved or is this just something, you know, that looks really cool? And we we sit down with them and and really start to dig in and, and look at what kind of a difference it could make. Um, as I said, we're so fortunate to have great partners. We do a lot of goal planning and determination uh, twice a year where we really go through and say, what are the things that we need to be aligned on and how are we going to do them? When are we going to do them? Who needs to be involved? And then we constantly adjust that to look at, you know, are we still focusing on the right things? Has the world changed? Has the business changed? Have the needs changed? So uh, it's really a very collaborative process for us. Gunita, from the from the vendor's perspective, right? A lot of times, and, and Turner as well, you're gonna you're gonna kind of reach into an organization, maybe an, an existing relationship, maybe you're developing new greenfield, and you're gonna kind of start there, but but that person you're working with has to bring that concept and that information to others within the organization many times. Um, can you talk from the vendor side a little bit on on cultivating that? that relationship and, and what that process is like. Right. Um, so Jim, from, from my perspective, and again, Gnita Bindra, you know, product management for Paymodex, which is an AP automation solution. Jim, what we do is we really get analytical. We talk about numbers. And for us, it's easy to do it because we, if a customer or a prospect can tell us they're making certain percentage of their payments on check versus ACH versus card, we have industry averages of processing those. And we can turn that into a cost savings versus a revenue booster business case. And that is something actually we do on behalf of the, the our stakeholder and we work with them and identify where we can save costs, where we can bring revenue to the table, and you know, revenue and cost is great, but what we've also started to see is with the great resignation and the churn, um, the employee happiness, right? Satisfaction scores. And if your employees are just doing those manual manual processes, there is that quotient that, that you wanna fulfill. And that's also where automation comes into play and we're starting to see that. Right. <clears throat> to add on to that, and coming from the vendor perspective, 
is for the most part, our our clients aren't buying software every single day. And and these are often very large and important decisions, and they do require a lot of internal alignment. And I think whether you're buying software from Yardi or or wherever it might be, the salesperson, the 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 person on the vendor side, all they do every single day is partner with clients to help make software decisions, align the internal conversations and get the right people in front of the right products to, to weigh in and understand if it's a good business decision and ultimately get from point A to hopefully point B from we have a problem to solve to we've identified the right software to do it. We have an implementation strategy and we are ready to begin the implementation process. And, and there's a lot in between that for most software organizations, the, the salesperson that you're working with is, is helping their client manage every day. So I think my main advice for anyone on the software purchasing side, which is I think most of the audience here today is, is view your vendor as a partner in that regard. They're, they're helping other clients do this every day and, and come to them with questions. Come to them with what your typical internal process looks like and say, here's typically what we do when we buy software, but we don't do it every day. How do you suggest we get from point A to point B? And they'll typically have a good roadmap that they can partner with you on and bring the right people from their side to, to meet with the right people from your side. Yeah, Turner, I would second that in the sense of the synergies that can be obtained and, and gleaned from, you know, those relationships and, and, you know, what each person, their perspective, I think that's really important. So um, I know for us and our clients, we, we are able to, identify those processes and synergies. We're, the client A is doing something this way, client B is doing it this way. They're using bottom line solution, they're using Yardi, they're using MRI, they're using, and how best to, to really bring all those parts and pieces together, so. Ian, any thoughts on selling the internal solution? Well, typically, you know, we have uh, our internal uh, staff coming to us with a problem. And so uh, selling them on that, on a solution to make their lives easier, isn't that uh, difficult. I also like, sort of like Watery, we have a very invested business partners. We have an IT steering committee that has been phenomenal. Uh, we meet every other month to talk about tech, which is just uh, in my mind unheard of. And they're, they participate, they're active. This is not, uh, uh, not something that they feel like they're forced to do. Um, and so we go through these things with them. Uh, we look at the innovation pipeline. We, you know, we uh, tell them where we're spending money and what we're spending it on and why. And, uh, you know, I have yet to have them tell me no. Uh, because, you know, typically we've done our homework, we've done our research, we know that we're, you know, we're spending the money wisely and solving a real business problem for them. Good. So, Again, kind of staying on this back office, this this back end theme, a lot of times the systems that run the behind the house uh, pieces of the organization are larger, more expensive, more ingrained type systems, right? The ERP system, the databases and everything else. They're not necessarily easy to swap out. So the conversations a lot of times for anything new that's coming into an organization um, are are about longevity, right? I don't want to bring a, a new solution in that might be 
gone in 12 or 18 months because I'm going to spend time doing integration work and training and and everything else. So uh, I can I, I know from the you know the owner operator side that's that's one of many variables, right? Uh, is the comfort level with the vendor or the solution uh, that might be coming in the door? So can uh, can you guys talk a little bit about from the product side, you know? I guess what you're bringing to the table or what you've seen or has that been a concern with some of the organizations you're engaging with and then again from uh you know the inside from uh, susan and ian kind of your thoughts on that topic as well is is stability within the environment given the fact that prop tech is very very dynamic right now I can certainly speak to it's it's a challenge and you know I could certainly cite several examples that we've experienced over the last three to four years with vendor consolidations and mergers and you know you maybe you picked one horse and and that horse didn't win uh, so you have to make a significant change or you um, you picked something and they might still be maintaining it, but they're not really enhancing it anymore. So you know, you have to look for what's the right thing for our business. So we we do a ton of due diligence in system selection. We spend a lot of time really digging into you know who are these companies, uh, if if they are you know a venture capital funded companies we are looking for you know where are they in their funding what uh what's their roadmap you know how how are they growing what you know what are they really like and you're trying to place the best bets that we can um but the change we're not always right and so we really have to be very agile and that's you know that's another reason that we don't want to go all in really building a lot of custom solutions because then we've created something that we completely have to redo from scratch right i would i would add to a comment that you made around kind of the the due diligence that you do around venture-backed businesses. And I think that's something that we're really proud of at Yardi and the fact that we're, um, we have no venture backing. We uh, have, have you know, carried, carried uh, with us the freedom in, in that regard as a privately held company to heavily invest in both client services. And if you look at our 8,000 plus employees, over half of them are in a client services, customer facing, focused on success role and uh, over a thousand of them are in a product development engineering and creation role where we're innovating and bringing new products to market and and we don't have to to focus on pure growth where if you're a venture-backed company there's some growth target that you are looking to hit to get from series b to c or c to d or d to ipo whatever it may be or if you're public you have a quarterly earnings report and you're you're kind of held to the street and you're you're more focused on on that component. So I do think that it's important for the purchasing side to to really dig in there as you do at, at Washington Reed and understand, you know, just because they boasted a big funding round, you, you want to peel back the onion and, and really understand more than just that and understand the longevity of the company. Um so a very good point and and uh and Nice to hear that you put that level of diligence into your decisions beyond just the product, but into the company as well. 
I mean, I'll just add one more thing, Turner, from a ven coming from a vendor perspective. I think all of that is great, but also having the experience in solving for automation in that particular vertical is, is extremely critical. And then the other piece I would say is having the resources to not just support an implementation day one, but also supporting you after you go live. Is there a customer success team? Do you have a dedicated resource that you can talk to and talk about your program? So I think not just that the stuff that you mentioned, Jim, but also the resources and the experience. Um, there's often new players and they do, do have all of that, but I think in the due diligence, you've got to check for all, all of the things you just talked about. I would just add that even on the back, I mean, some of these new PropTech solutions, they come to market quickly, they sell the business users on the, on the solution, but when you look behind the scenes, there's no really administrative back end. Like, you know, they're still in the, behind, you know, plugging the, uh, the plugs in the switchboard. And, uh, you know, and that, the business doesn't see that, but IT, we come in, we look at it and go, oh my, like, no, you can't do this. And, and it is critical and it's very difficult sometimes because sometimes the business is so far down the, that, you know, I mean, most of you, they've gotten, you know, quite far down the road with these, some of these small prop tech firms. Um, the nice, the only upside is that typically these are very niche applications. And so I, I, I certainly would never uh, put my major ERP into a prop tech solution or, uh, you know, a major business component. But, you know, so you, you may feel some pain on a niche basis, but typically it is limited pain. It's still pain. Well, yeah, the reality of those bad decisions, right? And especially when you have lean teams, as you guys have, have commented on, um, both on your back office actual processing in, in many cases, but also in the IT space, you know, the, those really can really add up to some painful experiences and costly bad decisions, so. Yeah, so to hear some comments, um, Susan, you talked about picking the wrong horse and I think we can all relate where, you know, I have a couple examples now where I picked a horse and now it's not a horse. Now it's an apple, right? Because they changed, they pivoted, <laughs> right? They pivoted. And, and it's not necessarily kind of, Ganita, to your point, it's, it, and Turner, it's not necessarily about um, a specific company or a specific product, right? So for example, Turner, uh, Yardy with a large company has many products, right? So as a as somebody on the inside, I'd want to make sure that the product you're presenting has longevity, even though the company itself will live on, you know, for for a long time. And Ganita, to your point as well, that that set of support after the fact, right? I don't necessarily want to just buy a widget. I want to know in my thinking of continuous cycle of improvement and everything else, how can the widget be improved? And if I change a business process or I go, you know, I add a new asset class or I do an acquisition, will that widget still work for me down the road? I just don't want a quick point solution. I wanna make sure, you know, like like you guys have all said, future-proofing is, is very, very important. So again, these are kind of things that are kind of running through my head as I'm listening to the uh, to the conversations, which is good. Um, so let's let's shift a little bit. We, you know, we're all experiencing the great resignation and the flip side of the great resignation is the great inability to hire uh, certain folks sometimes. So um, as we have people either vacate our organizations or we change the way uh, our resources inside 
do their jobs. Maybe folks are doing a little more, maybe folks are shifting their jobs. And we introduce something new like RPA, how does that affect uh, ownership of responsibilities, ownership of the data that's involved, ownership of the processes? Um, many of these things have lived within maybe an accounting or finance team for a while, and now they're going to you know, some type of technical team. Maybe it's not really IT. Ian, you mentioned before, it's not really an IT thing. It's it's a partnership, right? There's there's hands and responsibility all around the organization when you introduce something like this. So kind of taking all those thoughts and throwing them out to you guys, what do you what do you think about that? I could add. Yeah. Just, yeah, we have to be careful in IT that we do not become the owners of whatever it is that we're automating. And I think they're, you know, Certain people would love nothing better than to push, throw it over the shelf at IT and say, hey, now that you, that the chip the bot is doing it is Chip's problem, not mine. Uh, but no, at the end of the day, you know, Chip is just fulfilling a, you know, automating a function for you. You still need to be responsible for the result. You need to advise us if Chip has stopped doing what Chip's supposed to do or if something has changed that impacts how Chip does what Chip does. Uh, it is, you know, it is still clearly your, your bailiwick. Um, we're just there to assist uh, right. uh, and take, take the pain away. Yeah. So I'll, I'll share an anecdote from a conversation we had in preparing for a, a client panel coming up. And, you know, they were talking about how they're expanding their, their assets under management. And of course, you know, a 25% increase is quite a bit from an operational perspective to, to think through and how to support that. And they made a really clever point. They were, they said, you know, we need to think about how to achieve this type of scale as a combination of technology and people. Because if we just try and do it on the backs of people, then it's it's likely those people will end up unhappy because you know, we can't scale up the people as fast as we can scale up the assets under management and then people become overburdened. And then in the workforce today, there's there's so many options and so many ways that you can you, you can move around. Um, and aren't limited geographically with, with remote work taking a lot of, of popularity. That, that as you think about scaling operations, their point was you need to think about that from a people perspective and a technology perspective. So it, it was an interesting thought and I hadn't heard it put that way. Ian and yeah. Turner both make really right. good points. Um, you know, one thing that I'll add is you always have to be careful when you're automating is are you simply shifting the work somewhere else? Are you really automating or are you just shifting the work? And I think we always have to take that into consideration as well, because too often you're simply just shifting the work to another group of people uh, rather than really improving the process overall. Okay. I think that's where the architecture, to your point, Susan, is really important, right? In identifying exactly what is it we're trying to solve for. So you're not just shifting it. Is it truly a repeatable task? Is it truly something that we can automate that's going to be value add for the end user that's actually responsible for it? Yeah, that's all all great points. And and you know, we only have a couple more minutes here. Um, I would encourage anybody still on the uh, webcast, throw a question out there if we if you want to get it out there quick. But if there's any uh, final points by the, the panelists here, an opportunity, uh, last piece of advice or anything, uh, I would just like to note that so far, Ian is the only one who actually has a mascot for his RPA processes. So. Um, <laughs> 
The only thing that, that I would add is it, we've we've talked a few times about decisions in in software selection and we have this thing we want to automate and we need to figure out how to do it. It's it's equally as important to think about the implementation. And a few people have, have brought this up. Lynn, you, you made a great point here. In your in your purchasing decision, have a full plan from purchase to it being live and, and challenge your vendor to show you that roadmap. Who from their side is going to do what? Who from your side needs to do what? Do you have the resources on your team to meet whatever needs that, that are, are, are in place for you to actually achieve that automation? So really plan that out and don't just buy software and assume the vendor is going to take care of, of everything. Have, have a full plan. Great point. And Jim, I'll, I'll just add that, you know, it is as an IT team, it is also our responsibility to ensure that we're not just bringing in automation in place, but you're actually helping your teams, your partners, like you said, Ian, be more strategic in their work, right? There yeah. is so much strategy the work that they could be doing, you know, AP and AR are two levers that you can play with to manage your cash flow. And if all you're doing is cutting checks and, you know, working on Excel sheets, it doesn't allow you to get out of your daily processes and be strategic and think about things that, that you can actually be talking to your suppliers about terms, uh, about getting early payment discounts and really making your finance department, um, you know, be ready for, for that next level of growth. Yep. Well, thank you all very much. This was a great discussion. Uh, I really like this group. Uh, I'm sure some of us will be talking soon. Uh, Chuck, I saw you pop up here, so I will uh, pass it back to you for some closing remarks. All right. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks to, to the entire panel. Great job. Uh, thanks to all our panelists. It just really does valuable contributions. Again, I always encourage people to take notes whenever they're doing this, as, as, even if you're watching this as a recording. Uh, for our live audience and, and those who are watching as a recording, thank you for tuning in and be sure to go to realcom.com to register for the Realcom IBCon conference event in Orlando. It's June 15th and 16th with a golf outing and pre-conference events earlier in the week. Many of us will be there. We would love to see you. You can use the promo code that you see on your screen, the, um, the RC22Web1, uh, to get a bit of a discount. Uh, but don't take too much time because that's coming up on uh, June the 3rd. So uh, thank you again. Great panel. Love the discussion. Uh, we're taking a quick break from the webinars, uh, get through Realcom, and we'll pick these back up in July. So we wish you all well, be safe, and thank you again. We'll see you. Thank you. Have a great day.